When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey y'all, this is Josiah Gray and this is Half Street High Heat. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Half Street High Heat. As we are back after, I was going to say a short hiatus, but I guess it's been a week. It feels weird that we're only doing one episode a week, but I know with, it with feels the state like it's been team, a long time. <laughs> yeah, it feels like it's been such a long time, but I guess we're right on schedule, which is good, which is good because, you know, us and schedules, they don't really get along all that well. But we are back this week and I am joined by Amanda tonight. Ryan is out living his life, having better things to do than uh, watching this team struggle to score runs, which hard to blame him. But you can follow us on Twitter at Half Street High Heat. Follow Amanda at a white seven, eight, seven, seven and myself at the coach Moose. Amanda, what's going on? Not too much. Just watched the final out of the one nothing loss to the Orioles and uh, feeling like poor Josiah Gray couldn't buy a, any run support with it yeah. with jeff bezos's money but it's a little frustrating but yeah nothing too much just you know keeping busy life and yes. how about you uh the same just i is like 17 innings and counting now um <laughs> without getting a run scored and now he's oh and four on the season even though he really should be like three and one and mm-hmm. it's people are going to go look at the losses because you know there's still those antiquated old heads that are like oh wins and losses are solely on the pitcher and they're very much not and Josiah Gray is an example of that because he pitched great tonight yeah at the very least he should have like no decisions I mean but the fact that you can't score one run two runs and then one run I'll, I'll give the I will concede the second one because they faced Otani but like yeah. the one run was against the Rockies and then this one was against the Orioles with a pitcher who entered the day with a ERA above nine. So that's yep. frustrating. Um, but I mean, there's plenty to dive into on that because Stone Garrett, who we will talk about here in a little bit, 
I mean, he's batting seventh while Dom Smith is batting second. And Dom Smith found himself in some key situations tonight where it would have been nice to have Stone Garrett instead. and Or even Luis Garcia, who's been hitting the cover off the ball. Or literally anyone else besides Dom Smith, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's great and just great. <laughs> yeah, it's... uh. It's it's frustrating to see the lack of offense, although not surprising. I mean, we knew this team. They're on a pace to win 54 games right now. Obviously, it's very early, which is better than I predicted they're going. Right, exactly. I'm hammering the under on that. But, um, you know, I mean, they're they're what we expected them to be. But it is if you ever feel frustrated, Nick, just tell yourself you're not as frustrated as Josiah Gray. So it could be worse. He's a better man than I am. That's for sure. I'd be raising hell. But. Yeah, it'd be tough. That's a tough thing because all you can do is I feel like on a team like this, though, and obviously I've never been on a major league baseball team of any kind, good or bad. But you wait, what I would. Just so you ex- lied on your resume is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it's called inflation, not lying. <laughs> um, yeah, I just I, I imagine all you can really do on a team like this when you know that they're not going anywhere and they're not good is just do your job as, as best you can and. And he's been doing that. I mean, he had a little bit of a tougher start to the season, but he's been good. His ERA is below four after this start. So, and the thing is, like the Colorado start, he looked good, but in the Angels start and now the Orioles start, like he didn't look his best, but he still battled, and that's all we wanted. Like that's yeah. all we wanted last year. Is like, yeah, you don't have to have your best stuff every single time out. Like no one does. But we just need you to salvage those starts. And even in in the Braves game where he had like two first inning home runs, he -hmm. still managed to go five innings. And like, that's all we're asking. And he's doing everything we're asking. And like (laughs) the team's just letting him down. It's it's, you know, we can separate the, you know, wins and losses from the actual individual performance. But it would be nice to have those uh, wins and losses support you know, the actual individual performance as well, because he's battling his ass off right now. And there's literally nothing to show for it. Yeah, it's true. Although we remember when uh, we used to always talk about, obviously with all the caveats, he's not Max Scherzer, but we used to talk about how even on the days when Max didn't have his best stuff, you could always count on him to like eat some innings and and give the team a chance to win. And, you know, that's the best you can ask from, you know, his, you know, Gray's not going to have that kind of ceiling, but if your floor is that, you know, once in a while you, you have a bad start, but most of the time you can be counted on to at least keep the team in the game. I'll take that. Right. Right. And that's all we can ask at this point. And um, it's also frustrating. And we've talked about this before and I'm sure it won't be the last time you talk about this, but it seems like Josiah Gray has gotten the short end of the stick a couple of times already through what 17 games now. Uh, the the decision for Davey to leave Josiah Gray in for the sixth and then just pull him after a batter makes no sense because Josiah was clearly gassed to end the fifth. Like he did a great job of escaping a jam in the fifth, but he was at 89 pitches. Like typically an average inning takes a, at least 15. And that's if you get like, you know, one, two, three or, you know, pretty quick inning, you know. And he certainly wasn't doing that to that point, especially in the fifth. And I think even the fourth, like he had, that was when he uh, gave up the, the, the lone run of the game, the decision to put him back out there is just head scratching. And then he walks a guy, he had him on a three, two count, but he threw like nine or 10 pitches. And then he went to Mason Thompson. Anyways, like if you're going to pull Josiah after one batter, why not just give Thompson a clean inning? 
Right. Why not give him a clean inning and why not let Josiah go out on a high note? And and the, the, the people who like still fight me on the bullpen decisions, like this is what I'm talking about. Like there, there's no rhyme or reason. There's no strategy to this. Like it's, there's no defending it. Like I, with, I'm seeing actual B reporters all tweet about it. Andrew Golden, Mark Zuckerman, I believe Jesse, Jesse Doherty as well. Like they all tweeted the same thing. Like why the hell would you put Josiah back out there? Like I tweeted that at the end of the fifth that they needed to pull him. And it, it just, it's just so frustrating because you know, like you said, he can go out with his head held high, but instead now he walks a guy when he's clearly gassed and now he has to get pulled. It, it's right. like there that affects instead of pitching. letting him, it does instead of letting him be like, okay, you turned in a good start, like right. turned it over to the bullpen. Now, you know, you leave with the sour taste in your mouth, which, you know, he's already getting no run support. I don't, it, it's just one of those decisions where you don't, I don't understand it. Like what was the, you you could have seen by the fifth inning that you weren't getting the sixth inning out of him. So why start? I don't know. I yeah. don't know. So I just don't really understand. Granted, Mason Thompson got out of it cleanly, as Mason Thompson tends to do because he's a dog. But it doesn't mean it was a good decision. Just because it turned out well doesn't mean the process was sound and thorough. Like Yeah, sometimes good outcomes come from bad processes and vice versa. Sometimes bad outcomes come from a good process. But I can live with that. Right. If you do the right thing and it doesn't turn right. out well, cool. You know, you can only do what was, you know, made sense to do. But when you do the wrong thing and it turns out okay, that doesn't mean you didn't do the wrong thing. Yeah, and like on that in particular, if you pull Josiah Gray and Thompson starts the, the sixth and gets blown up, that's not on Gray. So the process is still sound, right? Whereas mm-hmm. if you leave Gray in there for even longer and like that run scores or you know, you left him in too long and now it's a three zero ball game instead of one zero ball game. Like that's not sound process. So it's just frustrating that these issues still continue to plague us day in and day out. Um, But yeah, so that was just our live reaction to the game that just wrapped up recording this on Tuesday night. We were hoping I was hoping that we would get to the point where it would be two runners on for Stone Garrett so we could live record our reaction um, to, his, to, to his inevitable walk off to an inevitable walk off. <laughs> um, but both Garcia Garcia got um, the win against Bautista with the nice hit up the middle and Ruiz battled. But Bautista is kind of a, a filthy pitcher. So yeah, I think he saw like eight or nine pitches inevitably. Grounded yeah, it was out, a good at bat. It just didn't yeah, still in a good at bat from Ruiz there. So unfortunately, we did not get a live reaction to Stone Garrett's walk off, but we will hopefully save that for another day and uh, another day when stone Gary is batting higher than seventh in the lineup. And listen for anyone who's tired about the stone Garrett talk tough shit. Strap it's gonna in, keep, it's yeah, not- <laughs> too bad. Cry me a river because getting him into the lineup was only the start. Now we have to get him into the proper spot in the lineup. And that's going to be a hell of a battle. That one that I'm ready. This is my last stand. I am going down guns a blazing mm-hmm. the hill you will die on. Absolutely. There are plenty of hills where I don't feel like it's worth dying on, especially with this team. This is that hill. I will die on this hill. This is my last stand. So uh, we will hill. be talking about it. We're going to have a, a stone Garrett update segment every <laughs> single week. So prepare yourself for that. Until but, he starts, until he starts playing poorly and then we'll just well, not I mean, do it anymore. And we won't say won't anything happen. about it. <laughs> 
It just <laughs> simply won't happen. He's he's a dog. Um, all right. Anyways, let's get into our quick picks, quick pitch segment. Excuse me. If you can't tell, I'm a little bit under the weather today, but I am battling through as well. Um, all right. This one is a little bit of a general question for you, Amanda. All right. Through three ish weeks of the season, I guess it's a little bit longer than that. Oh, what seventeen games? Yeah. So yeah, three ish weeks. Three ish weeks of the season. What are your biggest surprises for both the MLB and the Nats in particular? Oh, um, MLB. I guess I would say it's the um, the the length of the games. I knew that the pitch clock was going to have an effect on game length, but how quickly. The games go. I feel like I'll turn it on at seven o'clock while I'm you know, like finishing dinner and getting the kids, you know, doing homework and doing whatever it is we do. And by the time I get them into bed and come down, the game's either over or almost over. And that was never the case, almost never the case before. So that has definitely been a welcome surprise. Although I do almost find the pace. It's nice. I don't dislike it, but it's it's almost just a little bit like it feels rushed. Mm-hmm. Not in a bad way, but it's, I don't know. I'm not accustomed to it yet. Um, and then surprise for the Nats. Um, yeah, I don't know. They're pretty much doing what I expected them to do. There's nothing all that surprising. I think to go back to Stone Garrett, he's been a, a very nice surprise so far. He's not got enough at bats to, you know, put any stock in it. Really, I mean, I'm not surprised. But, um, I expected that shit. Well, I didn't expect it to be quite like a, a batting over 500 is pretty surprising. No, um, I expected that. I called. I'm pretty sure I said another that in my thing predictions. Something I did I did expect is Manessis's regression and that's been um I mean he's hitting what 2 224 I think after this game. So, you know, just thoroughly mediocre which that. Yeah, that was not, again, as I was saying, it's not really surprising. So I don't know. I don't have, Robles, I guess I'll go with. I'll go with Robles as my nice surprise. He's, his approach at the plate has been a good surprise, although there's a few things in his stats that are alarming. Um, you know, he's, the exit velocity is 84.4, which is in the bottom 3% of the league. And uh, hard hit percentage is in the bottom seventh, 25, which is the bottom 7% of the league. So while he's been better and his approach to the plate is better and he's, his batting average is over 300, which is definitely a surprise to me. Um, the underlying metrics are still not what you'd, not what you'd want to see for like a true hitting resurgence. But I, I'll say I'll say Robles, so I have to pick something. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, I just, I don't know. Sorry. I don't know if you can hear my dog literally actually having it like a dream right now. That's so funny. So is mine. She's like squeaking in the background. I'm like, I hope nobody can hear my dog making adorable <laughs> dog noises in the background. I was like, what, what's going on? I thought he was like barking at something. I'm like, nope, just having a dream. Um, <laughs> scintillating <laughs> podcast in here. Uh, my general one for MLB is actually the... I'm going to say the Rangers, but I really mean kind of the hot starts versus slow starts around the league. Like some of the teams you would have expected to get off to hot starts, like the Astros, for example, same division, you know, are they're fine. I mean, we're what through 18 games of the season or whatever. I'm not declaring anything now, but the Astros are kind of middling where it seems like the Rangers, albeit only 10 and six, 
they've dealt with some injuries. The ground left to start early again, but they're still finding ways to win games. Corey Seager went down with an injury. Their lineup looks like, you know, nothing to write home about as, as of right now, when it's healthy, it looks good. And they're still finding ways to win games. So that's kind of interesting to me because I picked them for a playoff spot, but I didn't think that it was going to be convincing. And the way they're winning right now isn't necessarily convincing either, but if they can find ways to win games without being convincing, that usually is an indication of teams that are good to make the playoffs, right? Like teams Mm -hmm. that win the games they're not necessarily supposed to, or can win ugly or, you know, whatever, whatever it comes down to a win is a win. And through, you know, the first three weeks of the season, the Rangers are showing to do that. They're, I think staff pitching as a whole ERA is ninth in baseball. So that's kind of where a lot of their production is coming from. And, you know, that's where they spent the bulk of their money this off season. So if that can hold up, I think, I think I'm looking good on that prediction so far. So that's kind of interesting to see so far. And then for the nationals, honestly, my biggest one, and I just tweeted this out is how many close games they're playing. I thought this team would get absolutely blown out and 11 of their last 12 games have been decided by two runs or less. Yeah. And the the 12 game was a 10 to five win over Colorado. So basically the Colorado series on like they've played really close baseball, which is good and bad. It's good because this team's scrappy. Like if that's the adjective you want to use, I think it gets thrown out too much. But I think in this case, it, it kind of applies. They're still close to the games, whether it's the pitching staff like battling their ass off or the offense kind of being pesky, poking singles, not striking out a lot. Like this team has scrappy aspects to it, but it, it also on the flip side is just like a, a harder, <laughs> you know, stronger gut punch. Yeah, the losses like, feel worse when we, they're close. Yeah, exactly. Like we have somehow some way a little bit of hope but it's mainly because like we're trying to manifest uh good performances like we talked about for a guy like Josiah Gray or Mackenzie Gore or you know some of the hitters in the lineup like we want them to do well and you know it sucks seeing them not be able to to you know reap the benefits uh, of their hard work or anything like that mm-hmm. but you know you look around the league the Nats were compared to the A's a lot to start the year it was like Nats or A's Nats or A's so, well, the Nats through what, what do we say? 17, 17. games so far, they have a minus 21 run differential, which honestly is not that bad. It's about one and a half per game for a five and 12 team. That's not a bad, run. not bad. The A's you ask minus 72. Wow. So, so it's like that in, you know, there's more examples. Like if you want to go to Detroit who's seven and nine, but they have a minus 42 run differential. So it's like this team is finding ways to be scrappy. And it's just, if we could get a little bit more timely hitting, if we could just get a better lineup construction, like I I do think we can win some games. I'm not ever, ever, ever going to call for this 2023 nationals team to be anywhere close to 500. But I do think like we are better than a record reflects as crazy as that sounds. Well, I'm optimistic Nick and, uh, yeah, it's it's interesting. I would I would prefer to see a team that's, you know, to use your word, scrappy. I want to see a team that cares. There's nothing worse than when your team is terrible and they clearly don't even care and they're getting blown out and they're not trying their best. And like that's that's miserable to watch. At least close games are watchable games. You know, they have a chance to win. And, you know, 
that's really in a, in a team in the middle of a rebuild that has a roster as bad as this one, like being close and having games that you want to watch into the ninth, because there's a chance they could win. Like I'll take it. It's better than it's better than it could be. When you look at teams like the aforementioned A's and tigers. Right. And like that just kind of goes to the, um, sorry, I completely lost my train of thought, but what I was trying to say was, the run differential it it's kind of credit to the how good the mainly the bullpen has been but even the pitching staff they went 11 straight starts going five innings or more and like that that helps because that doesn't tax your bullpen and that makes your bullpen more effective um, because they're not having to pitch long long innings and long games every single day out like they had to do last year so if you look at it as a whole like some of the stats are inflated obviously the Kyle Finnegan's uh, and you know, even Rasma Ramirez and the Chad Cools, and we'll talk about Patrick Corbin, but Patrick Corbin's early starts like those will inflate Do the we numbers. We have to talk about Patrick Corbin, <laughs> we will, we will, and you might be surprised. But right now, the Nats are 19th in team ERA, like as a whole, uh, both starting staff and bullpen alike. So it's like they could be better if they could just get some more timely hitting, which is a big ask. I, I, I understand. And this isn't really necessarily optimistic, Nick. This is just me. And this is what I'm trying to do. I said this in the last episode, the episode before. I'm just trying to call it like I see it. And this team should be better wins and loss wise than they are. And a lot of that has to do with the manager, honestly. And people are going to disagree with me. Fine, whatever. I don't care. But I know I'm right because <laughs> I'm watching these games. Like, I, I can't say I've ever watched this, not ever, but since 2019, watched this many Nationals games to start the season because I've watched basically every single one of them. And I'm seeing the in like thoroughly invested for some reason. I hate myself, I guess, like watch these games and I'm un, like seeing the, the decisions that are made and not made. And I can tell you that Davey has cost us like two or three games already this year. And it, it's frustrating seeing a guy like Tim Boger come in and win us a game and I'm not going to dive down that again but back to my point about the biggest surprise is just how many close games are playing because I did expect us to be maybe not minus 72 but like the Royals for instance they're 4 and 13 and they're minus 42 so like that's kind of what I expected but this team's keeping it close if we can just get some more timely hitting here and there we might find ourselves you know, playing 500 ball. Not that that is where we'll finish either. That makes sense. Well, I've, I have a, a quick pitch for you. Actually. Oh, oh, we're quick pitching the quick pitch. There you go. There you go. I'm going to so, call a pitch clock um, violation. <laughs> you, I'll get one with Josiah Gray. It's good company. Um, So the Atlantic League, which is where baseball's, you know, always testing out their new rule changes. Um, has three rules they are testing out in the Atlantic League this year. Um, first one is a designated pinch runner, which is super interesting. Basically, you could put a runner in, and the player who substituted out, as well as the pinch runner, would be allowed to come back into the game. Interesting, right? So say that again. I saw the rule, but I didn't. Look okay. Into the so specifics. designated pinch runner, and this isn't even my favorite of the three. So of the three, there's the designated pinch runner, which means basically they would let you substitute a player in as the pinch runner. And then when that 
you know, the inning ends, the player the original guy goes out back. could go back in and the pinch runner could be used again later in the game. So this goes for any player, not just like the pitcher or catcher. Right. Exactly. For any player. Don't like this, it. Okay. The second one is, I think we can expand on that. The second one is the single disengagement limit, which is basically just like a slight adjustment where pitchers are limited to disengaging from the rubber only twice now, but it would be only once. Also don't like that. This one is my favorite. Number three, the double hook designated hitter. And we talked about this when there was still no DH in the national league. So this is already in place in the Atlantic league and has been for two years, but obviously in MLB, this would be a huge change. So this would mean that the teams would only be able to use their DH if their starting pitcher makes it through five innings. If the starters pulled before the end of the fifth, the team must either hit with the replacement pitcher in the DH's spot or use a pinch hitter. Also don't like that. Oh uh, God, I love it so much. Please give me something. <laughs> so I, I wouldn't mind a tweak to that. I actually presented this to you. Yes, we talked when. about this, right? When, when the pitcher comes out, uh, you lose your DH. But that's kind of, eh, actually, I guess that kind of fits. But on the flip side, now my opinion, it hasn't changed because like I'm just being stubborn. It's also it's we just already have the DH permanent. Like, let's just leave it. And I also think it's going to lead to more guys getting paid and the DH being recognized better at, for like award voting or Hall of Fame voting or whatever. So I think now that it's here, let's just leave it and. I think it is going to be good. I understand the, the desire for strategy and I don't hate them toying with the idea. I just don't necessarily want to see it. Yeah. I, as you know, am a DH hater, but I really do. And I know I don't bring it up because it's a moot point. It's done and there's no going back or maybe there is, but you know, I don't like it. I do find, I find it a little bit more boring and I know everybody's like more offense. It's more exciting. I miss having the you know the pitcher spot come up and you have to decide what to do i miss the old national league rules so i would love it this this is like if the if the starter comes out before the fifth inning these rules would come into play i would love to see what we had talked about before which was just when your starting pitcher comes out your dh comes out and that you just tie them together and that's kind of a hybrid really of the the rules from the two leagues what they used to be but anyway i just think it's super interesting Um, they're doing this already in the atlantic league since 2021 so i don't know if it'll ever come to mlb but i would love it if it did yeah i mean i think that's i get the atlantic league you just play around with rules and not all of them will make their way to the mlb and that's fine i think it's good to have a league like that i just the single engagement makes no sense i just i think yeah if anything if anything you need to go up one more not down one more um but i'm not i'm not also not advocating for that either I think it's fine how how it is. Um, yeah, I don't like the single idea. What do you? Why do you hate the pinch runner idea? It's it's really kind of a radical change. There's never been a there's it's never been allowed in MLB for a player to be substituted out and then go back in again. Like that's a that's a pretty radical change. I just I don't like that because I think you're well. I was gonna say I I don't like it because. If anything, you should just leave it. If it was for the catcher, for instance, I think that makes sense because player safety or not necessarily player safety, but, you know, they're having a lot of wear and tear on their legs. And like if you 
pitched it to me in that way, I would understand it. But now we're getting into the kind of weird back and forth and um, just kind of all over the place nature of the game. Like for you, for instance, you were saying pitchers should be able to hit. And, you know, we can get into the fine details of that argument again, but like the actual position players should be able to, should be able to hit and run. And they should be able to run. Yeah. Yeah. So like, that's kind of where I was, I know that was a terrible way of explaining my thought process, but uh, this is a quick pitch and (laughs) I'm I'm, I'm I'm processing, I'm processing (laughs) on, on the spot. Um, But yeah, they should be able to hit and run because they're not having to worry about like a whole other aspect of the game, like pitching. Like if anything, they would be getting pulled because they're slow and like that, that shouldn't be a, you know, a factor in the, the whole equation. In my opinion, if you wanted to do it for catchers, I guess, but I still think that's kind of a ticky tack rule. Yeah, And I don't like it. And that was kind of the slippery slope argument I used when we talked about why I didn't like the DH, like, why is the pitcher the only one? Like, why not just have an offense and a defense? You know, that's kind of taking it to its taking it to it, it its logical conclusion to me but i i don't i would rather have no pinch runner and no dh at all but the desert it's just interesting i don't know that i'd want to see it because you're right it kind of starts to make the rules sort of i don't know messy yeah is the wrong word but yeah it that's just probably feels what like, i was trying to yeah. get to my brain wouldn't get there it, it just yeah it does get to a slippery slope territory i laugh at when you ever watch baseball with somebody who doesn't watch baseball and they're just like what the hell is going on there's like all these weird intricacies to it and you know every i don't know if you don't watch baseball or understand it i understand when people tell me they think baseball is boring because if you don't understand it it is boring but like this makes it it, it's just like one more complexity layered over the top maybe a bridge too far do you like how baseball is played right now i know you don't like the dh but just as a whole is played in what way would he just like the general rules of the game? Yeah. General rules, strategy. I, again, I know you don't like the DH, but how do you feel about how the game is right now? The game, not the nationals. Yeah. You know, I love baseball, but I, I you know, and you know me, I'm something of a purist. Um, I don't love how pitcher or starters only go four or five, maybe six innings. And it's so much bullpen. I think that I enjoyed watching the game more and I'm older than you, obviously, um, when you starters are. used to go deeper into games, do you know what I mean? And like, you would see complete games a lot more often. I don't know. So there's some things about it that I don't like as much as I used to. And there's some things I like more, you know, the, the, the pitching is so much more incredible. Like it's like, it's like witchcraft, what some of these guys can do with a baseball. Mm-hmm. So that part of it, I really enjoy. And, and I love a good pitcher's duel. I love to see, you know, if you could show me Otani versus Garrett Cole, <laughs> would love it even if nobody scores a run and it winds up being a, a one run game in the 14th or something i would sign on for that but um yeah. so yeah in some ways i like it more and in some ways i like it less yeah, i was thinking about this today because someone else asked me about the pitch clock specifically but just the rule changes in general i like how it's played right now um i do i do hear you on the strategy aspect because it feels like almost every other sport there's some sort of strategy to the game um like through like in-game strategy i should say mm-hmm. not, not like just putting lineups together or anything like that there's in-game strategy there's play calling there's like, other things that baseball doesn't have like you can run plays but it has to be certain situations you can't just do it you know at, yeah on your own accord 
Um, so I wish there was more strategy, but I don't have a perfect solution to that. I do think you should expand rosters to what it's at 26. I, I would like to see 28. Um, but maybe cap the bullpen numbers, which I think the bullpen is capped to nine guys right now. You can only keep nine bullpen guys yeah. or maybe 14 pitchers in general, which I'm fine with that. I would like to see more bench players. I think if you had more bench players, you, you could have see more, more strategy. strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, but players also might not like that because then owners would retort with, oh, well, we're paying more guys major league salary so we can pay you guys. Le-. Like you get into the, that whole mess. Always the money, of course. Right. Um, but I think having more guys would contribute to strategy. And I think you would see less guys injured or even go on the injured list if they're just able to sit out for a couple of days without like hurting their team's you know, lineup for the next day or roster spots or anything like that. Um, but my follow-up point to you is, do you have a, or a follow-up question, do you have a rule change idea in mind that you would like to see implemented? Well, that's a good question. Um, We're just going to go questions back and forth. All, all, all I know that's long. the whole episode, right? Yeah. I like it. Yeah. A rule change I would like to see. Well, I have I one mean, if you want me to start. Other than the obvious one. Yeah. Like I'd like to see the, I'd like to see no DH in either league. I would love to see. All right. Or that's not to happening. go back. Give me, yeah, but, give me a new one. Go give me a back fresh to, idea. Okay. No interleague play and just have them play. Oh, another. I hate that. I, I like despise the, that. No, no, I don't despise it. I loved that's again, back to when I was younger and watched baseball. Like it was so special when the teams played each other. You know, it, it, it was, it was the world series. That's when they played. But, but there we were talk- major leagues. But we talked about like the benefits of playing everyone because it's baseball fun. is so regionalized. I like know. Uh, you wouldn't have seen Shohei Otani this year. And I get like it was a West Coast game anyways. But like, you know, you you're cutting off half the league to viewership that is already like struggling to keep paying attention. I know it's true. It, and, and, you know, I don't know. I'm just kind of throwing things out there. But um, it was just there was a there was a real specialness to it that is lost. There, there's something that's missing now. There's nothing special about interleague play, even before this year, when obviously everybody plays everybody. But even before that, like I mean, it, it might not be like as special as, but like you shouldn't play like the Yankees, for example. I always remember it was a big deal when the Yankees came to town. You shouldn't play the Yankees like once every four years. Like that's just silly to me. Like that, that I mean, that's it, the 2023. 20, Yankees are going to look vastly different from the 2027 Yankees. Like you're going to completely miss out on players. And that makes no sense. And I don't know exactly how long it would be. It, it would be between an elite play, but I, I like that they play everybody because yeah, it's only a series, but in the grand scheme of things, it's still 162 games. It's still, you know, a, a dog fight to get through the summer. Yeah. You know, you're not really impacting the, the grand scheme of things by switching up the opponents or, not even switching up the opponents, just like almost like giving more parity to the league because you are playing everyone. You're not just going to reap the benefits of a, a weak division or you're not going to struggle just because you're in yeah. a strong division. It's true. And I I didn't like 19 times per year for the same team is a lot. And, you know, I, I think I'm I don't know. I'm glad that's not the case. anymore. I mean, yeah, but... that's half the almost half the season just against your division. It's a lot. It is, and maybe that's another rule change that I wouldn't mind seeing the the number of uh, the number of games shrink a little bit. Well, what's I it down? Want to see it shrink too much? Oh, you're saying the the MLB season shrink? Yeah, seeing the whole season shrink. I um, think 154 you know, is a really good number. 
I do too. And I, I like the uniqueness of how many games there are in baseball and how it's such a slog to get through the season. And when you get to the end, mm -hmm. like the teams that what I, one of the things that I've always loved about baseball is whatever team you have in your head, you field on opening day, hopefully is not the team you're going to finish with. There's going to be injuries. There's going to be changes. There's going to be trades, whatever it is that happens. It's the teams with depth. It's the teams with good farm systems that actually can make it and, and be on top of their divisions and make a deep run. Like almost always it you're rewarded, not just for the, the team you field on opening day, but for the, the, for the completeness of your entire organization. Yeah. In a way that I think more than any other sport. Yeah. I completely agree with you. And I think shaving off eight games is still going to continue to capture that. Uh, the essence of just the long grind of a season that is so special about baseball, but also kind of give something back to the players to promote player health and, you know, just, I guess, satisfaction, because if you want to dive into the X's and O's and business of it all, like their employees, you kind of kind of throw a bone to your employees to keep them happy and, you know, keep the on field product good, you know? Um, but you actually just gave me an idea. I have a, another rule change that I would like to see, but let's say it is 154, which I don't know that it'll ever go down. If anything, they would lengthen the season um, because then you get into revenue. And uh, like you said, mm -hmm. the money always about the money. Um, but it, if they do shave it down to 154, I would like to change the all-star break format. Mm. I think the all-star game needs to be on a weekend. And I think the players would love the opportunity to get a full weekend off and you would see more players participate in the all-star game if they weren't sacrificing days off because a lot of guys pitch Sunday ah, I'm gonna I'm gonna take the week off just go spend it with my family even though yeah. they're an all-star and I get it but like the MLB could easily switch that up so that way the last game played isn't the day before the all-star game you know so I, I what I would do is last game of the first half of the season or first half whatever be played on a Wednesday, Thursday off home run derby, Friday night, Friday night, home run derby would absolutely hit. It would kill on ratings on TV too. It would hit um, Saturday night. I get Sunday night. Baseball is always a, kind of a big thing. So if you want to do um, like home run derby Saturday night and then um, all-star game Sunday night, I'm fine with that too. Whatever just keep it on a weekend. So either Friday, Saturday or Saturday, Sunday, and then give the players Monday through Wednesday or Monday through Thursday off the next week. I think you would see so much more participation in the home run or uh, sorry, in the all-star break. And I think the players would love it. And, you know, if you're going to add some uh, off days, I think that's a logical place to put them because players really enjoy that time off. And even if they don't make the all-star team, Right. They really only have like four days off before they start playing on like Wednesday or Thursday. So it's it's a break, but it's a short lived one, whereas a week off would just be like a bye week in football, you know, where they have the week off to reset. And, you know, you're going to get some guys off the DL or sorry, the aisles. My apologies. Back. And that seems to be a, a recurring theme of my thought process tonight. But, yeah, I, I think it just makes a lot of sense to kind of put your main event aside from obviously your playoffs on a pedestal why like why put it on a monday and tuesday night i Makes know no when, yeah i agree with you 
I agree. I would love it on a weekend. And you'd get for people being able to attend. Yeah. Like I understand it's a big deal to go to the game, but like if you're for somebody with kids and a job and all that, like, you know, you can't always take off work or your kids have school in the morning or you can't get it. You know what I mean? Like putting it on a weekend, not only does it make the TV ratings better, but I think it makes it more accessible to more people and not like they have trouble selling it out, but you know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah. People, people might have an opportunity to go who just aren't going to do that in the middle of a week. Every other all-star break is on a weekend. I mean, yeah. the pro bowl is kind of a joke at this point, but even that's on a weekend. And then the NBA all-star break, which used to be the best all-star break always on a weekend, just not NHL, the best always on a weekend. Like Monday, Tuesday is the, the worst possible. Even like Wednesday, Thursday would be better. <laughs> but uh, for Monday, Tuesday is like, yeah, it's like the worst possible time. Worst possible well, time. I've got another one for you. How do you oh. feel about the, uh, the three, it, the three batter minimum rule? Haven't noticed it. So I don't, mind. I don't like it. I don't like the rule. I, everybody always talks about how the DH is so great for all these different reasons. One of which is it makes more jobs for guys. Well, what happened to the loogie when they went to the left-handed or, you know, the left, I mean, learn to pitch against other hitters. Like, I know my point is just if the whole idea is like, let's have more, let's have jobs for more guys. You, that definitely. Eliminates no, that, that's fine. But again, I, I like the I drama of like going, going to your bullpen for one guy against this one guy. Do you know what I mean? I it kind just of miss takes that. forever. I know it does. That's but why I they sort did of it. Miss the drama of it. I know. But, you know, honestly, I feel like they did all these little tweaks that did essentially nothing to shorten the length of games. And, and then now they actually could have just shortened. done. Yeah, they could have just done the just, pitch clock. Yep, they could have just done the pitch clock and left all this other stuff alone. But yeah, I don't know. I kind of miss the loogies. Oh, I mean, you are the first and only person to have ever said that. I um, think it's fun. I think it's fun. My rule change would be something I do think will inevitably come to baseball. Okay. And that it is not robot umpires, but it is challenging balls and strikes. Because I think that is like the happy medium baseball will never go to robot umpires i guarantee i will put my every dollar i I have on it i I, think they will no they won't because the umpires would have a fit like it it would just it would never happen i guarantee you guarantee you name one other sport that has robot umpires and no like real life officials well, that's not like you have no real life officials if you if you get rid of umpires calling balls and strikes. I'm not even arguing for or against it, although I am for it. I think they should go to robot umps, but I think they will eventually. I think it will happen. I think people said that you... about replay before it happened. No. Well, first of all, the people arguing against replay is dumb, but no, the robot umpires, you're gonna see the like the hanging curveball, the one that like drops in late for a strike, that's gonna get called a strike. Or no, sorry, drops in late. Yeah, and gets called the ball. That's going to get called a strike because it's tracking where the pitch goes. You're you're going to get a lot of. I think the answer is robot umps with balls and strikes being challengeable, so that if the robot ump calls something, then you can go back and look and be like, obviously this was a strike. I mean, that would be backwards because, like, if you're going to challenge the robot ump, then you're going to challenge like you're going to challenge the just efficiency of every single pitch called. Whereas, if anything, you should use the robot um to be the tiebreaker if the batter and umpire disagree in, or the pitcher and an umpire disagree on a strike call. You should use the rump, robot ump as the Well, if they're going to miss tiebreaker. calls, you know, if they were the ones calling them, then I don't know. I think for tie, I think if you're going to allow them to be challengeable, 
then you should have humans looking and making the determination about. No, well, that that's what I'm saying. That was my point until you argued with me. <laughs> I, do, I just do think they should be challengeable because, I mean, I, I was watching the game today and my God, it was one of the most inconsistent strike zones I've ever seen in a non-Angel Hernandez game. Like this is, it was just asinine how inconsistent. It's one thing if you're, if you just are calling a ball or calling strikes high, calling strikes out, whatever, if you're consistent about it, because then the players can adapt, whether they agree with it or not, they can at least adapt, but to call it inconsistent, like you're, Mm -hmm. it's a guessing game and there's no, there's no benefit to be had from that. There's no adjusting to that because we just don't know. Because you have no idea, right? If something was called a a strike two at bats ago and now it's a ball, you're like, well, how the hell am I supposed to know what to swing at and what to let go by? Right. And like this, granted, it happened to the Orioles. So like I'm not broken up about it. But there was a situation tonight where uh, the Orioles back picked at first base. Adley Rushman threw over. It was he was set up inside. The pitch was low and outside for a strike. But because he had to reach across his body and then had a snap throw to first base, the umpire did not see it was a strike when it was very clearly a strike. Like that should be one if the manager taps his head should be reviewed really quick because that's not necessarily the umpire's fault. Like with a lot of going on in front of you, you're going to miss that more often than not. It just happens. That's not I'm not even blaming the umpires at that point. And I'm not also not an umpire defender, but like that kind of pitch or that kind of play should be able to be reviewed because, you know, that's that's helping everyone in that instance. Granted, the Nats got a benefit of the call, but it could very easily happen to them as well. You know, right. So I would like that kind of situation to be reviewable. I think it just makes sense. Yeah, well, I don't I I think you're probably right. I think that is going to come. I, I mean, and, I am. Well, it had to happen eventually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah. that was a good discussion. Nice little rule change. Everyone. Yeah. Could- it was impromptu. We didn't have that one planned out, but <laughs> yeah. Anyways, the Nationals they play baseball. Um, ish, ish, ish. Actually, before we get back into Nats talk, it did work last time, so we are going to pause and get a word from our sponsors. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then, taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, we are back and talking Nats, uh, which, you know, wah, wah. they need to pay. <laughs> they need to pay us more to talk Nats, but here we are. Uh, I'm looking up a stat really quick, but I know what happened tonight. Um, I believe it happened two or maybe all three games in the Guardian series. So I'm trying to stall while I look this up. <laughs> um, doo -doo -doo. All right. I sort of stand corrected. The Nats did not draw a walk tonight. And there has been several times in the past couple of games where they did not draw a walk. And I think that really contributes to their lack of success yeah it happened on saturday as well Their stinkiness yes right because with this team we know they don't have power like that that was a surprise to no one when they didn't have any power yeah so they had three walks oh sorry so it's just saturday and today but still they only had three walks on sunday and three walks on friday but like when the team doesn't have power you need to generate base runners and without you know this team hitting a ton of extra base hits, like getting guys on by any means necessary is so crucial to success. And I think a lot of the lack of offensive success has to do with this team's inability to draw walks and just see pitches and have long at bats. Like, Oh boy. Uh, it, it's a shame Ryan's not here because the Dom Smith rant would be second. It would be, it would be good. We'll have but to like, wait on that. Stay tuned. Uh, I, I know Dom Smith had a bloop single tonight. I know it. But once Dean Kramer and the Orioles realized that Dom Smith couldn't hit a fastball, Dom Smith didn't hit a fastball. <laughs> so like, it, it's just frustrating to see a guy who is penciled into the heart of the order, two, three, four, in somewhere in there, and can't hit a fastball. But not only that, is consistently swinging at fastballs outside of the zone. But up, leads the team the with six walks. <laughs> Dom Smith does. Dom Smith and Victor Robles tied for first on the team with six walks each. All right. Well, that <laughs> just contributes to my point because he can do it, but he's actually not doing no, it. No, right I'm sorry. Now. I stand corrected. Alex Call has nine. Yeah. I was gonna say Alex Call seems like you should yeah. have more. I was looking, I was looking at the wrong I didn't have I didn't scroll down enough. Nine is the team leader with Alex Call. But also like to bring up Alex Hall, I'm, I'm glad you did because that supports the Stone Garrett argument we're going to get into. Like Alex Call literally can only draw walks. If we're talking about his offensive game, he doesn't hit well. He doesn't hit for power well. Mm -hmm. Like he was literally only having so much success because he was drawing walks and, you know, just waiting on pitches. To hit. He was just seeing a lot of pitches through like the first two weeks of the season. He was like top seven in baseball in pitches seen per plate appearance. And so he was filling that role well. But when you're not walking, your mm -hmm. game gets completely exposed. And that's kind of what's happening to the Nats because they can't get on base. Like they've been a singles heavy machine. If you're not hitting, you have to be able to get on base in other ways. And they're just not able to do that right now. But again, we kind of expected that with a guy like CJ Abrams, Luis Garcia, KB Ruiz, even who like aren't necessarily known for their walking capability, but mm -hmm. that's just who they're going to have to be to, you know, gut through these these cold stretches with the bat like you have to be able to still get on base and that's aren't doing that yeah i mean that's it's an excellent point i'm I'm sitting here looking at you know team numbers on things like walks and it's not good i mean they've only got 49 
on the entire team so far, um, which is, I don't know where that ranks. I don't have that number in front of me in, in MLB, but it, it seems like an awfully small number. Um, a lot of the guys, you know, like Lane Thomas only has four and he's who we've got leading off most of the time. I mean, you need more walks out of the guy who's going to be hitting that high in the order. Um, not that, you know, not that there's anybody hitting behind him who's much of a threat, but still it's something that you want to see. And, you know, you, you brought up Alex call, he's got nine walks, but only 10 hits. So, you know, and, and that's in 59 plate appearances. So the numbers are not impressive. No, they're not. Uh, the Nats in walks are sorry, still scrolling. Um, they are twenty <laughs> second. There baseball. you go, still scrolling. That should be hashtag still scrolling when you're looking still for the Nats scrolling. in lists of stats. For reference, the New York Mets are first with eighty eight walks. Okay, so we'll see. So forty nine versus nearly doubled. How many yeah. uh, strikeouts? Where do the, where do the Nats rank in strikeouts? They've got 103 uh, they, so far. They, they have the lowest. They're, they don't strike out a lot. Oh, you mean pitching or offense? No, I mean, no, no. I mean, uh, offensively. How many, where do they rank strikeouts wise? Oh, the, they're the best. They have the fewest strikeouts in baseball. Wow. Because they just hit weak ground balls. So yeah. they're a good contact team if you want to use the actual definition of the word, but it's not like they're putting the ball in play. Like if you look at the Guardians, they are great at just dinking and dunking and blooping and finding their way into manufacturing runs because they run well, they put the ball in play and good things happen because they have the exit velo to go with it and not just, mm-hmm. you know, these weak rollover grounders that the Nets seem to love. But yeah, if, you know, you're betting against the Nats, don't bet the overrun strikeouts because I, th- I don't think it's hit a single time this season. Maybe mm-hmm. once or twice, but I think McClanahan hit. But how's your uh, how's your hot streak going, by the way? So I was in Texas over the weekend, and them Texans down there don't believe in online gambling. So oh, uh, I see. had to take a little brief hiatus, which is why you have not heard from me as much. I threw out a couple of lottery plays, which are just like high odds, unlikely to hit tonight, just to just to see if I you know caught fire on my way back, and none of them hit. But that was kind of to be expected. Um, so we're gonna get back at it tomorrow and i know my my fans are eager, eagerly awaiting yes i know you've been on this you've been on this hot streak and then nothing all of a sudden like what's well yeah on? it was just the the trip and plus we've had some off days the nets have had a couple of off days over the past couple of weeks and they have another one on thursday so kind of breaks it up a little bit but i'm still 33 and 17 on the season so 33 for 50 if you want to look at it that way i i, I love it it's so, good stuff Six, I don't gamble six, at all. Seven. I don't even I don't even know what all the terminology means. So people talk about gambling. I just like my eyes glaze over. I don't do it. <laughs> yeah. So all right, but back to Alex Call. So the Alex Call Stone Garrett conversation is interesting to me because um well, first and foremost, Stone Garrett needs to be in the lineup. Like mm-hmm. the fact that he's played in a third of the games at this point, and I believe leads the team in extra base hits. I mean, if you still have that page pulled up, uh, it might be let's... second to Candelario because Candelario has three or four home runs at this point. Yes, Stone but... Garrett's got what nine hits, three doubles, and a home one run. home run. Yeah, so he's four two, extra base hits. Mm-hmm. And how many does Candelario have? 
Candelario has, uh, let's see, 19 hits, three doubles, three home runs. So, yes. So we're just going to call Stone Garrett second. Lane Thomas might be up there, too, but we're going to call Stone Garrett top three. I think top three, safe to say, without Mm -hmm. having the stats right in front of us. Like, he needs to be in the lineup. In a team, like we talked about, desperately lacks power, lacks extra base hit capabilities. He needs to be in the lineup. Whether you believe in him as a, a everyday player or not, does not really apply to this because he's proven he's a spark plug to this offense. Like you can't deny that. And I don't necessarily dislike Alex Call either. Like I know Trey, who does our YouTube page, big fan of Alex Call. You know, for what he is, I'm not. I, I don't. He's not a world beater, in, but he's. Yeah, a good I don't piece. want to put words yeah. in, in in Trey's mouth or anything. But like Alex Call is very serviceable, but he's limited in what he can do. That being said, I, I think he's a fine fourth outfielder. I just don't think he was long for being this team's everyday outfielder, or everyday left fielder and leadoff guy. Like the design was for him to platoon with Corey Dickerson. So I think we've already seen too much of Alex Call. And that's not uh, an Alex Call. That's not his issue. I just think that was never the design. And he got off to a hot start. But now he's severely regressed. And that was kind of to be expected because we didn't anticipate him being an everyday uh, outfielder anyways for this team like when they were initially designing the outlook of this team so if that was the case then why not insert Stone Garrett already because that just fits your plan to platoon Alex Call and if Stone Garrett's massively outperforming Alex Call offensively which he is right now then Stone Garrett deserves those everyday reps that you were giving to Alex Call Mm -hmm. like that that's just the logical explanation behind it Again, whether you believe in Stone Garrett or not, like that, that them's just the but, facts. But the guy's only got 18 at bats right now. I mean, it, it Candelario's got 71. He's leading the team in plate appearances. And then Lane Thomas, and then Joey Manessis, and then Dom Smith. And I right. mean, there's Go just ahead. no, the thing with Dom Smith is just, I, I am baffled. I, I don't even know what to say about when you look at his statistics versus Stone Garrett's. Now, I understand you're like, oh, well, Stone Garrett hasn't, you know, it's a small sample size. Then give him more at bats so it can be a bigger right. sample size. Right. Like, what what are we doing? Stone Garrett has a 563 batting average right now, and Dom Smith has a 232. Why is Garrett, when he can get on, get in the game, hitting seventh? When was Dom at second in the two hole tonight? Second, yeah. And I mean, it, I just, what are we doing? What are we doing? And you know what? Do you know what? Uh, What's Dom Smith's barrel percentages? Uh oh, it's low. It's very it's zero, low. Nick. It's zero. <laughs> yeah, I, it's I zero. Didn't that actually? <laughs> I should have known that because Ryan had mentioned something similar last week. Yeah, like yeah, it's it's crazy. I'm sit, you know, you sit here and you look at these stats and you're just like his his uh, Dom Smith's his stats are awful. His He's in the bottom 10% of the league, bottom five in a lot of things, and tons of different offensive you know, statistical categories. He's got a, a, a 25% hard to hit percentage. It's the bottom 8% of the league. His exit velocity is 85.1, which is in the bottom 10% of the league. I, I just, I don't understand why is this guy hitting second? I understand this. This isn't like a powerful lineup, but you have better options. You have better options. Why are we? It's like, I, it, I don't get it. If anything, you should have just left Candelario because Candelario was hitting second there for a while. Right. And then Candelario started hitting and then Davey moved down moved him down to four and it's like like where is the logic here like you don't put a guy who you're trying to get right in the two hole 
Like you just don't. Right. When a guy is hitting like Dom Smith is hitting right now, you put him at the bottom of the lineup and hope he can get right. That's what you do. And that's what he's done with a lot of other players. It's what he did with Robles for the longest time. Like yeah. you hide him at the bottom of the order because it's not complicated. The higher in the order the player is, the more at bats they get. Your best hitter should get the most at bats. I don't understand all this like, you know, this weird, you know, we're going to oh do this God. here. So the, it, the dumbest argument I got was like, oh, well, he's having success in the nine hole. Let's leave him there. Like if you were having success at your job, should you not get promoted? Like what, right. are, what is they're having success as a cashier? They don't, we shouldn't move them to management. Like, what are you talking about? Like, it's like just... yeah, I don't get it. That, that stuff just really, and this goes to the broader argument, which I know we've, we've talked about before and you, you rant about on Twitter all the time is the lineup construction is, is nonsensical. I just don't have words. I see the lineups come out every day and I'm like, what are we doing? What? are we doing <laughs> i don't know i these we've had these discussions already i want to like rehash everything we talked about on the last episode but yeah i just i am i am befuddled by the lineup decisions yeah because it's it's all on davy's gut like there isn't like i i've I don't have it in me to watch every press conference or like catch up with every press conference because like it, the stuff that comes out of his mouth is just like it's complete bullshit. If we're being honest, sorry, it is like, it, it's all coach speak. It's all, there's no like actual data or firm reasoning behind it. It's all what he wants to do, which if he came out and said that I'd be like, this would be right. a great segue into the comments that Juan Soto made this week about yes. lineup construction. Yeah, we will definitely get into that, but it's like David just does whatever he wants and he sticks to it. Like, him and Rizzo both refuse to admit when they're wrong. And it's like, as humans, you're not going to get everything right. You're just not. But, you know, what makes the, the good managers great and what makes the good GMs great is knowing when to pull the plug when they are wrong. Right. And when to pivot and when to be when like, to pivot hey, this didn't and when work. to try something Let's new. Try something it's like yeah. Luis Garcia got one at bat or one game in the leadoff spot, went over four. I get it was a bad performance, but like has, we haven't seen him there yet. We haven't even seen Robles bat higher than eighth, and he was hitting 450 for like the first two weeks of the season. It's like Dom Smith and Joey Manessas just get penciled into the middle of the order because of this like power that you think they have, but they haven't displayed at all. Like at least Manessas has had some, but he doesn't have a home run yet. And it's like Candelario has been your best power hitter, but you move him down in the order, and Stone Garrett is your best power hitter, and like he plays once a week. It, he got benched for six straight games. Six yeah, that straight part games. wasn't even like a hey, we're we're and, gonna move him around. We're doing like six games. That feels like punishment. Like, and, what are we doing? Yeah, exactly. And Davey tried to say that it was matchup based. Like, first of all, that's complete bullshit because your lineup is heavily righty based, anyways. And also, the first when we finally, as a collective community, bullied him into playing Stone Garrett. Who did he face? Shane Bieber. What did he do his first at bat? Doubled off Shane Bieber. Like it's it's like if you want to go in the matchups, be consistent with your logic. Everything that comes out of his mouth is complete, like an utter fluff. And it's a PR statement. And he just can't admit when he's wrong. And I get he's a nice guy. Guess what? He can be a phenomenal bench coach for another team, but he's not management material. You like just separate 2019 for a second. His overall managerial record is like a 410 winning percentage. It's not good. 
It's not good. And it's for reasons like this. Like he has never been able to construct a well-rounded lineup unless it's been flat in his face, like the 2019 lineup and how stacked that roster was. But if you look at 2018, 2018, that team still vastly underperformed. And even 2020, like they couldn't even make the playoffs in an expanded playoffs in a 60 game season. Like he's underperformed at every single step of the year. 2019. And I wish people would stop and think for a minute if that ball doesn't get past the outfielder in the wild card game in 2019 and the caps don't even or caps. Sorry. The Nats, Nats don't even get into, I'm thinking speaking of teams that miss the playoffs. Yeah. Um, but if the Nats don't even make it into the playoffs because they lose in the wild card, like we're having a very different conversation about Davey. He's probably Absolutely. not even still here. And I that is taking nothing away from what they did in 2019. But that was that was lightning in a bottle. That was magic. That was the baseball gods smiling on us. That was I don't know what that season was. What that season was not was some sort of like, you know, some sort of incredibly impressive managerial display. Do you know what I mean? Like it, it was, it was all of these things falling into place. And Davey did a great job with some of the the managing in those playoffs. Although I wouldn't say even I was all that impressed with his managing during the regular season that year. Uh, but he, you know, it went the way it went and I wouldn't trade that world series for anything in the world. But if you take, if you could just step back a little bit and be a little bit dispassionate and and take that out and say, okay, other than, this one October in 2019, let's look at his tenure. I mean, you can't, if you're being honest with yourself, you can't defend it. Yeah. Like if you look at the Cubs, like they won in 2016, mm-hmm. you know, Joe Madden really underperformed for the next three years before they inevitably let him go. And, you know, there's been other examples of like, like Joe Girardi, for example, you know, the, he was a World Series winner in the and granted, he got a very long leash before they inevitably let him right, go. Well, winning a World Series will buy you a lot of time. And yeah, for sure. Leash, and I'm not, I'm not saying like Davey yeah. should have been fired after 2019, but can we not accept the reality of the situation in that this, every single team he's had has underperformed aside from 2019? Like we're, we're and year, they underperformed in 2019 until yeah, they went on that hot games. run at the end. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So, so I don't know. It's uh, it's definitely that that year was magical and it was awesome. And, you know, but uh, there, the league and all of sports really is full of both players and coaches slash managers who had one really good year, you know, one really right. good performance. I mean, look at, you know, I, I would say Cody Bellinger, except he's actually starting to round into form here a little bit right now. But, you know, like look at guys who do it once or twice and then they can't sustain it. Like what makes somebody a really great at what they do is the ability to consistently sustain a high mm-hmm. level of performance. And, you know, you can look at lots of, lots of guys who had one MVP year or coaches who won one world series and could never repeat it. And I, I don't, I don't know how anybody looking honestly at the totality of Dave Martinez's coaching tenure can look at that and think, this is a guy that we want leading us to a world series in the future. Like we think this guy can help us win another world series. And if he's not a guy you think can win another world series for you, then what Boot. are we doing? Yeah, absolutely. So that's not where I intended the conversation to go, but I, I do think it's still valid. It's going to be valid pretty much every episode until a change happens because we've had a ton of, uh, 
you know, sample size to give us the opinion we have now formed, but not much to the contrary. But if you look at tonight's lineup, for example, giving Lane Thomas the opportunity to lead off, I have been very strongly against Lane Thomas leading off. I pulled up all the stats. You know, I'm not going to get dive into that. 0 for 4 or 3 strikeouts. Kind of what I was saying. Like, Lane Thomas is not a leadoff guy. But I was fine with it because Alex Hall, I was doing it, now has struggled, and now you need you need someone there. So, fine, whatever. But Lane Thomas is not your leadoff guy. Don Smith batting two. We already already talked about that. Joey Manessas batting third, 0 for 4. So, you're 1 through 3 in the lineup went 1 for 12 with six strikeouts and no walks. <laughs> and it's just like we kind of knew that was coming already. Like Joey Manessas is the only one with a real argument to be there. And that's that's a weak argument at this point because we're clinging to 2022 Joey Manessas and not looking at the reality of 2023 Joey Manessas. Can he turn around? Absolutely. But I'm just saying. Whereas a guy like Jamer Candelario, Luis Garcia, Stone Garrett all deserve to be up there. All have very strong arguments to be up there. Even CJ Abrams. His might be a little bit weaker than the other three, but still. And it's just frustrating that we're getting the same, you know, recycled lineup over and over and over again. Like even Franson said, it was Franson or Carpenter and said on the broadcast at the start of the game, it's like, oh, it's kind of the lineup we've seen a lot this year. Well, yeah, because Davey doesn't change anything <laughs> like ever. The one time he did, the one time he did was the Stone Garrett game where he hit Stone Garrett second. And it was awesome. Like, and it was let, awesome. Let's get, Why let's aren't we doing that? that? <laughs> like. Yeah, like the Alex Call leadoff experiment worked great for like three games, and then it didn't because that's not who Alex Call is. But I get the thought process, so at least kudos there. But, you know, being so stubborn to never change your mind is just frustrating. So anyways, let's let's get into some highlights before we we jump back into, I guess, some more <laughs> some more negative talk, which I didn't even intend this episode to be so negative. But listen, a lot has happened. Um, but <laughs> We've been let's through talk some about, shit, okay? Yeah, yeah. Like, let's <laughs> let's talk about some highlights. Uh, mentioned two of them: Jamer Candelario, Luis Garcia hit the cover off the ball last week. Uh, Garcia had two home runs. Uh, he was five for twelve in the series against Cleveland. Had the moonshot in on Sunday's game uh, that brought them to within one. Obviously, we know Stone Garrett has been raking, but he only got two starts with or one start in the past week which is just asinine. Um, but J. Mayer Candelario, like we said, is rounding in form. He's someone interesting because switch hitter has shown great defense this year. And if he's starting to hit for power and extra bases, which he's been doing lately, like he's going to be a hot, com- hot commodity at the trade market. Mm-hmm. Granted, we have like three months to go. But if this can continue to some capacity, it's not just, oh, like the Nats could trade him. The Nats would need to trade him because he's going to get something pretty good in return, regardless of his contract and it being a, a rental. Like that, that's something to monitor. So come on, Jamer. Like, let's keep hitting. Um, so that, that was good to see. Lane Thomas also had a good week. But again, Lane Thomas had a good week hitting lower in the order than than what he did today. Pitching wise, Mason Thompson, awesome dog, my pitcher or reliever of the year. The other one, if we're being honest, Patrick Corbin. Patrick Corbin was 2-0 this week, if you can believe it. He had the five-inning, 
four run performance against the Angels, which doesn't look great on paper, but the Nats won that game and he held Mike Trout and Choi Otani to uh like nothing that game and the Nats kind of did it that series, which credit to the Nats for fighting against the the best duo in baseball. And then obviously he had the the quality start on Sunday where he went six innings, five hits, two earned runs, no walks, four Ks, and 94 pitches. So it's like, listen, we've ragged on Corbin enough. We're going to inevitably do it again in the future. Like we got to give him some credit where credit is due. He's had two great starts. Show me at least a third and then we'll start talking. But got his ERA down to 6.3. Oh, we're in business now, baby. <laughs> we are in business now. So those are some of the, the good highlights over the past week. There was little individual ones like CJ Abrams had his first hit off a, what Ryan say, a non-cutter or a non-slider this year, whatever it was. He had a, handled a 95-mile-an-hour four-seam fastball at the top of the zone for a nice piece of hitting up uh, single up the middle. So that was good to see. Uh, his defense also looks great. He had an error uh day before last but he's made some really really like good good looking plays so um it's nice to see that ironed out yeah he should have had a stolen base tonight but victor Robles was hell-bent on bunting fouled off a bunt when cj probably could have stole third on the same pitch mm-hmm. um so little things Robles here and there. had a little bit of a rougher week than he had before. he's facing more righties it's gonna it's gonna average and he had like, that you know, really uncharacteristic defensive um blunder era. yeah yeah that was i would I, you don't see that from him very much we're just just totally miscalculated and, and wasn't yeah, where the ball was the, coming. the ball just had a little bit more life than he anticipated which it happens like you know it just like bad starts happen just like slumps happen mm-hmm. it's just doesn't happen to him very often defensively no, you usually no, have but... nothing Nothing but good things to say about his defense. I think that's more of an anomaly than like a sign of things to come for him because he has played pretty good defense. Maybe not quite to the caliber we expected, but still solid defense. Like I haven't had any issues or concerns with his defense mm-hmm. this year. But I, I do think offensively, first of all, it was never sustainable for him to have a 450 batting average over the course of the season. But also like the Nats are just facing more righties now. Like they face three righties in the Guardian series. They faced what two righties, I believe, in the Angels series. They faced a righty tonight. So he's just seeing more right-handed pitching. He hasn't had a day off all year. Um a scheduled day off. He's had off days. Or you know what I mean. Like a, um, where he didn't play in a game. Yes. Yes. He's played in every single game. So these happen, these lulls happen. Like if you still look at his numbers as a whole, still two eighty eight batting average. I get that's you know, front loaded. It is what it is. Um yeah, if you I, told me at the beginning of the year we'd be talking about him having a 288 batting average 17 games in, I would absolutely take that. Right, exactly. So little things here and there. Um, but there were some good performances. I didn't mean to be too entirely negative. But that being said, there was some news that came out, or at least a story that came out today that did generate some waves within the uh, Nationals community. Um, so let me pull up this guy's name so I can cite my sources here. Uh, Jake Russell, he is a Washington post sports writer. Uh, actually, I don't know even know if it's him. Cause I think it was from SI. I think he was just citing reporting. It. Okay. Yeah. So it, the, the article was from sports illustrated. I'm trying to see who wrote it, but I don't see an author's name, but anyways, SI good enough. 
oh stephanie abstein abstein anyways they were talking to scott boris about in juan soto just about everything and the trade and his contract status and all that stuff and boris was speaking and basically said last year he asked soto whether or whether or not going forward he would consider refusing to negotiate in season when asked about a potential extension with padres and soto's response was I wanted to do it with the Nationals, but they just made it public. I didn't like that at all. I hated it. I told them we weren't speaking anymore because they just threw everything out there. If the Padres can keep negotiations private, I can do it anytime. I have no problem with it. Which, if you go back and listen to the tapes, we all said it was the Nats who like leaked the numbers because they just were not happy with negotiations. And that's when negotiations soured because it was very... It was not very long between the time that number came out, the 15-year, $440 million contract came out to the point where the Nats started trading and then obviously traded Juan Soto. There was not much time in between. And also, Scott Boris doesn't have any leverage by leaking the number. Like, No, I mean, we all know that. We all talked about it at the time. We all knew it was the Nats who leaked it. But to see a guy like Soto who wanted to be a Nat and was willing to negotiate with him. I mean, maybe he would have gone to, to free agency anyway. I think he probably would, but if he was willing to negotiate with them and you know, the reason that it never went and they remember the saying, Oh, he never even, he never even gave us a counter. He was pissed off because you leaked everything publicly. You and know, it's, it's, it's uh, this generational player that you should have done everything you could. And it did exactly what the Nats wanted it to do. What they wanted was for them for the fans the PR blindly, spin. right? Yep. For them to be able to say they offered him four hundred and forty million and he wouldn't take it. Screw that guy. You know what I mean? Yep. But what you did was make him an offer and then publicly leak it to pressure him, and he was pissed off. And we yep. knew that at the time. Like we knew it because we well, I should say we suspected it at the time. Now we know. Now we know that that's what happened, and it is infuriating. And it's like. Scott Boris has had so many big name clients, so many big name clients. Show me one time where he's leaked the contract negotiation. There's no benefit. There's no leverage to be gained. There's none. Every single player wants their contract negotiations private. Like Scott Boris would not do that. I get for some reason people hate Scott Boris, and it's such a oh dumb. I'm sorry. It's it's a dumb way of looking at it. Because he 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 is good for baseball. Whether you like it or not, he's good for baseball. Like to Amanda, you 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 said it perfectly. Like the the Nationals put it out there to spin the narrative to like shift the blame to Scott Boris to Juan Soto rather right. than the team. Was the fifteen years four hundred forty million a bad offer? No, no, it wasn't. Like I can honestly say that. But it was way under market value. Like it just was to right. lock, is, lock up a guy want... that early. Yeah. But did you, you want to win market value or above? Did you want to win? Did you want to get Juan Soto to be on your team for the rest of his career? Or did you want to just make some PR spin so that you didn't have to pay him and the fans weren't mad at you? Because it, that's what it feels like to me. You the, didn't actually want him in the first place because you had to know that by leaking it, you were going to piss him off. And also the first offer, I don't remember what it was, but the first offer was outrageously low, very, very low, yeah, 350 or something. I guess. Yeah, it was like 10 years, three, 330 or 350, something like that, which, you know, AAV doesn't look terrible. But I mean, look at look at this offseason example. Everyone got 10 year deals till they're like 
39 or 40 because that's just what the market's demanding. Like we go back to the market price and the market, what the market's saying. It's, it's, yeah. Anyways. So that, that came up again, but also uh, they asked Juan Soto about hitting second. And Juan Soto said to kind of full circle this, that he did not like hitting second in Washington, but he's open to doing it in San Diego because of the line of protection he has. But in Washington, he didn't like it because he didn't have a lot of line of protection, as we were saying. And yeah, Juan Soto hitting second is good on paper, but if you don't have a protection, it, like he's going to get pitched around. So he'd rather hit third or fourth because in theory, you have more guys on base for him and he's not getting pitched around so much. Like and it's not even just what he said that he didn't mind it. It was what, also, the way he said it exactly. He said, what was the exact, I'm trying to pull it up here. The exact wording was he like, he also brought it up I told to the manager Davey. that, yep. that Davey does what he wants yeah, or something he, like he that. He said he brought it up to Davey, but the exact words was he does his own thing or he does what he wants. And I get that. Like people, and, and I saw people on Twitter defending Davey like, oh, you know, of course he does what he wants. He's the manager. The players don't get to make lineup decisions. I understand. But, but that's your you star have, player. That's your the, star player. And he is you have to value the best hitter since Ted Williams. Like what value his input. Give, and he was right. He shouldn't have been hitting second in that lineup. And all, like anyone who's saying, well, Soto sucks now. Like you can just walk right out the door because you just don't. Yeah, you know, if, like you're not providing any value to this conversation, right? If you if somebody says that to me, then I'm just like, okay, well, I'm not. Gonna yeah, try you're to have just this conversation with you because this isn't this isn't going to bring any. Yeah, like we're not going to give no each value, other. <laughs> no value to the conversation. Yeah, um, I it, it devastates me that Soto is not going to be like of all the players we've lost, and there have been, as we know, there have been. It was it was Harper, it was Rendon, it was Turner, it was all these players who should have they should have made an effort. Soto is generational soto is somebody who you should have never ever let walk out the, that door you should have done whatever you needed to do to keep him and people oh you got to build a line. there's no salary cap okay you could build whatever kind of lineup around him you want to but that kind of guy you don't let go and you certainly don't screw around and make him upset and angry and bitter and not want to be a part of your organization ever again do you know what I mean? That it, it's it's so as a fan, it's somebody who follows the team closely, but just as a fan, it hurts to like this guy. Not only would he, you know, did we have a chance to have a guy who's going to go down in history books like Ted Williams, maybe, but you know, he's he's he actively dislikes this team now. This isn't a guy who's going to wind up back here in free agency one no. day or something. Like he's never going to want to have anything to do with this organization again, and, and that just should never have happened. I know way. Ryan's point, and it's a very valid point, would be if he was here that this is a common theme with players that leave this organization. They do not have Rendon was a time. good example. I'm like I'm at the end of my uh, podcasting limit with my cold. So I apologize if I, I sound gross here, but like not many have had kind things to say about the organization. Rendon, like you just mentioned, had very choice words and very particular words for the organization. And um, uh, like, I, I'm trying to think of more examples, but again, my brain's kind of failing me at this point because I'm under the weather. But Turner didn't seem very happy. Yeah, Turner. Oh, yes, yes. Thank yeah. you, Trey Turner. Uh, was just questioning what the hell was going on with the organization. Harper. Yeah, that I'm sure fans will kind of try to claim Bryce is an outlier, but he's he kind of saw it firsthand because he was the first one to go through those types of negotiations. Um, 
and you know there's been several others that of highly like notable players that just aren't thrilled with how the organization is being run and i get that that's not like comfortable to hear but it doesn't make it any less true like and doesn't it seem to me and it's a weird thing it always seems to me that the players who are less superstar-y players who are less important organizationally tend to have great things to say like they get treated really well and they love this organization but the superstars don't and that's a really interesting love bargain bin they love like you know kind of the cost value or cost benefit whatever but yeah but i think it speaks to a larger like that's the point is they it speaks to a larger sort of mindset of the learner family and the organization of like we want to go out and get these guys who we think we can we can fix them or they're coming off of an injury and we want to get a bargain on them and you know they 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 go all out and try to try to build the team that way but when they have superstars and some of these guys fell in their laps and the and you know Harper obviously anybody in the world would have drafted Harper with the first overall pick that year but you know a guy like Rendon who went 6th who who fell that far like you had a guy who and obviously retrospect being what it is Rendon's not doing so great right now but point is at the height of his at the height of his powers when he was here like they they not only didn't resign him but he left here bitter why why is it that the best players that have ever played here felt disrespected and not treated well by this team i don't i i don't know i don't get it i i mean but it is a theme to your point yeah and it's it's too much of a theme not to not to notice at this point as a fan. Yeah. So I guess the good news is we don't have any more of those guys to, <laughs> for it to happen to, you know what? It's an excellent point. We don't have to worry about that. Spins for a while. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, just, it's all a moot point. Like you said, it's over and done with now. We're not trying to dredge it up. It just, it was trending on Twitter today. So we had to address it. And again, it contributed to the, to the theme that's been going on and uh you know i still love soda and it was hard to hear him like someone pointed out oh yeah i'm sure he was crying it because there was a report that he was crying all morning the day he found out he was traded he's a 23 year old kid of course he's probably crying like yeah that's I, hard your whole uprooting your whole life and yeah i think that you, you don't life, really like, see you've never been traded before you don't really know you don't know that city you're you going to there. feel some type of way if, if the organization if you like that's the first time soto's probably felt the shitty end of the business yeah and like i don't think it was necessarily wrong of the nats to trade juan soto because keeping juan soto like this team has so many holes as is like right now they wouldn't have a shortstop they wouldn't have uh a two, three pitcher. They wouldn't have, you know, the, the farm system that they do like their farm system is so top heavy as it is. And that's all due to the Juan Soto trade. It's literally has nothing, nothing to do with the Max Scherzer trade Turner deal, which is just insane. Like that. The fact that we traded, I mean, Scherzer, obviously he was a rental and you weren't going to get a haul. I love Gray, I love Ruiz, but like the fact that our farm system Uh. has like nothing to show for them. And you know, is entirely reliant upon the Juan Soto deal. It's just crazy, but it, it just hurts to see like Juan Soto be so hurt by the organization that, you know, is supposed to do right by the players and by the fans. And they're just, you know not. what I was and thinking it just about contributes to 
like our thought process that the learners have been checked out for several years because they don't care. They got the World Series and they're looking to cash out. They're literally trying to sell the team. Why the hell are people still defending them? I don't know. But you know what I thought when I saw that when they first traded Soto and they saw that he talked about how he cried the whole morning and he's so upset. I, I found myself thinking back to the story of when they were signing him as an international player and they offered him a million dollars and he yeah. agreed and shook their hands. And then I think it was the Mets offered the him White like, Sox. The White Sox offered him like millions more. And he said, it, no, it I gave him my million. word. Yeah, yeah, I gave him my word and I don't go back on my word. And I kept thinking to myself like, man, what a shitty way for that relationship yep. to end. You know, I don't know. Yep. That thing is that's just a hard one to take. So all of them were hard to take, but the Soto one is the, the for me personally. I can't speak yeah. for everyone. But for has, me, that's the hardest one to take. We're not yeah, again, we're not even talking about the trade. So don't come at us saying like that the trade was like we won the trade. I don't that could not matter less to the conversation we're having. We're talking about the relationship and you know the way the business was done. We're talking, you know, we talked about the process for making decisions with the lineup and in-game management. Now we're talking about the process with the you know the general manager in that kind of process as well neither of which have been done effectively in my opinion and that just goes to the point that i think both david martinez and mike rizzo should be gone but it likely won't happen until ownership changes and ownership change probably won't happen until the Madison deal is solved. The Madison deal won't be resolved until the Orioles relocate. And the Orioles won't relocate, like on and on and on and on. So we're just stuck. Madison deal. Like after you know the the sun goes supernova and the earth is destroyed, the Madison deal will still be tied up in court. Yeah. So <gasps> death taxes and Madison <laughs> deal and the Madison deal. <laughs> There's no escape. No escape. <laughs> so, anyways, all right. Let's wrap up the show. You got any? Uh, Final thoughts, your one big thing before we head out. Um, you know, I mentioned it earlier, it kind of took the wind out of my sails, but I had been um really excited to see Cody Ballinger kind of bouncing back. Um, he had a, a five hit night, uh, was it last night, whatever the last game was. And uh he was one of those players that like I hate I hate the Dodgers, so I never really rooted for him too much, but he was always just he was always one of those guys where he had that MVP year and then just like forgot how to hit. And I was, I was thinking to myself, like, what is up with this guy? How did he just, I want him to go someplace else for a change of scenery and like be successful and to see him with the Cubs, like maybe it's too soon to say he's back, back to his MVP form. But that one is just like from a baseball fan perspective, I always really enjoy when a guy that everybody has written off, like comes back somehow, but it's fascinating because I don't understand how, you can slump so hard for so long and then somehow find it again, but it seems like he is. So. Yeah. Uh, my one big thing is just a, a timely piece of humor. Um, Lucas Giolito took a no hitter into the sixth inning today. Oh, well really until the seventh, he got pulled after six, no hit innings. Cause he was at 102 pitches. Um, and the bullpen couldn't complete it, but I just thought that was funny. And I get like Giolito, has kind of been up and down with the White Sox. He had that one great season and afterwards like has not been the model of consistency, especially in 2022. But I mean, he had three very solid years, um, two and a half, if you want to count the COVID season. But anyways, I just thought it was funny. Like, Hey, there's our old friend, Lucas Giolito, you know, doing well without oh, us. Untouchable prospect, Lucas Giolito. <laughs> well, not even that. It's just the, you know, the whole development argument. Uh, yeah player, player development argument and just the 
conversation we had today about management and general management and prospects and all that stuff. I was just like, oh, hey, you know, there's 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 another one. There's always something. Yeah, it seems like, you know, it seems like a lot of former Nats have success elsewhere, which is a whole separate argument. And I'm sure that's true. If you die, you know, if you kind of drill down on any team, you're going to see guys that end up with other organizations and do better. But it, you know, it does seem like it, when the new ownership takes over at some point, I do think that's going to happen. And when it does, I, I just hope that that there's a complete overhaul of the player development staff and we can start. I, I want to be even more than that. Maybe not more than I want, not more than I want to win world series or anything, but I want to be a team where people are like, I want to get prospects from the Nats because their, their minor league system is so good because they develop players so well. We want, we want the pitchers they've been developing, you right. know, wouldn't that be something that would, that would, but here we are. <laughs> and yet here we are. Yeah. So that does it for this episode of Half Street High Heat. I think Ryan will be back next week. We will be back with our regularly scheduled programming, but we appreciate listening. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Half Street High Heat. Amanda at A White 7877. Myself at the Coach Moose. Be sure to check out Half Street High Heat.com, District on Deck.com for your latest Nationals baseball, or I was going to say Nationals MLB college baseball everything in between uh we got you covered every single day um between those two sites and check out half street high heat on youtube trey posting multiple videos a week multiple shorts um sometimes on twitter as well so we got you covered every which way we love it somehow apparently we just love to hate ourselves um i guess so i tell ryan earlier there's no hate stronger than self-hate the best kind Right. So cool. (laughs) Cool. We're on it. All right. That does it for this episode. We'll be back next week. And in the meantime, let's go now. There's a new breeze blowing off the banks of the Potomac. A new team's mowing down the ranks of their opponents. The Nationals are smashing balls. So that the commentator who has the calls has passed the wall to see you later. Dawn, well, you can see they're running scared Cause the kinds of bombs we're launching are bursting in the air Tell the Library of Congress that they might not want to look Cause we're putting curly W's in every book Let's go, Nats We've got a game to play We're gonna win today Let's go
mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.